friends, welcome to episode 229 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? I don't know. We got in some deep conversation. Oh, we really did. Literally seconds before the show. Right. So yeah. uh, that that I I I have like I have that like I'm full stomach, but at the same time, like there's that pressure on top of it from deep conversation. Yeah. So yeah. It's, I'm sitting about there. I'm sitting about there. No, I think 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 we're at a, I think we're at a good place with that. So I think I think we can. No, it's good. I, yeah. We it was, it was we good are discussion. good at getting through these. It takes effort. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Like, how many years have we been? talking about this shit and other things adjacent exactly so exactly no, it's all good yeah. it's all good i think we, we both know each other well enough at this point that we both just kind of cut the bs and speak each other speak our minds and we're like okay you you're not being a jerk you're just being honest <laughs> yeah and and sometimes it takes us a bit to get to that because we yeah. worked ourselves into a corner and then we're just like okay by the way <laughs> deep deep breath Points two and three were absolutely correct you're right <laughs> yes. yes i'm going to talk to you about point one right now though <laughs> Yes. So, uh, I think other than that, that's you bet. It's uh, the, the, the greatest enemy of scheduling is hitting both your oh my and God. Sean's are, game. We are fighting both final bosses right now. I think we're winning, though. No, you're. I think we it's got, doing great. I yeah. think we got Sean's officially scheduled. It looks like it, yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, mine is looking promising. We might actually get to play two games in the month of October. Go us. M- maybe three. God, how do, Maybe people, three. how do people do weekly games? First off, they don't have our schedules. Right. <laughs> Two, they just do it. Like, that's it. I wonder if Draven's still running, like, three games a week. I don't know. Draven, if you're still running three games for a week, let us know. Yeah, because... <laughs> With nine to eleven people. Like, you, I don't understand this. You're going to you're gonna have to let us know, like, what we're doing wrong here. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Like, that, that, that is the one thing that I think neither of us have mastered. Yeah. But so. uh, I'm I'm excited about my game actually because we're coming up on a, uh, a pretty like pretty major plot point. Um, we're nearing the end of the second act, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to essentially the hard move that will just push Shake. the whole thing over. And uh, hopefully, if I have done my job right, when it happens, everyone is going to be like, "Holy crap!" That was an amazing reveal. Reveal, like, like, like we saw it coming, but not like this. Yes, yeah, that, no, that's the that. That's what we you want saw to it do. coming, but not like this. Is the perfect way of saying it. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes that's mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Yep. No, I, 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 I'm hoping that I'm, I'm just kind of sitting back and enjoying mm-hmm. at this point. So, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, all right. So we. we... We have a big topic Man, again. Know, we God. always do this to ourselves. We don't. I like. And I was. I was telling Vicky at dinner. Like, I don't feel good about this topic, and it's not because I'm not enthusiastic about it or anything like that. But like, I. I think we're gonna go for an hour and a half on this topic, and I don't think we're gonna scratch the surface of it. I don't think we're gonna do it justice. I think that's a fair statement, but I think the way we've got the discussion outlined to be able to help us mm-hmm. stay on topic, I think is good. I think it. I think you hit some very valid points, and it it crests a little deeper than you know the five thousand foot overview. But we are definitely not getting to the weeds because getting to the weeds require us to really scope this each part of the discussion. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's find out. Let's find out. Let's put. Let's, let's, let's run up the flagpole. See if anybody salutes. Tonight's show is yes. about polytheism in tabletop RPGs. It's kind of an examination, not just of polytheism, but 
I guess, theology as a whole in TTRPGs and how yeah. it presents itself. To put this force, we have to have the cautionary <laughs> the tape. Big, the big fat disclaimer. Yes, uh, is that we are not theologians. Yes. Uh, um, please do not trash the podcast hosts. Please do uh, Nothing we say in this podcast about TTRPGs could possibly encompass the vastness of human experience across both global geography and several millennia that humans have been able to even conceive of divinity. Yes. We may make some general comparisons to real-world faiths or members of those faiths in this podcast. Please recognize nothing we say should be construed as an all-encompassing statement. In any way. Nor an insult to any god or their worshippers. We love you all. We are just trying to help people make better fake stories with their friends while they sit around and play make-believe Correct. with plastic toy soldiers. Correct. We're, we're going to be focused on TTRPGs and some comparisons in a very broad brush way Yes. Um, to make the discussion palatable for those who may not have a full understanding of either. Like we understand that most of the people that we're talking to are not studied theologians. Mm -hmm. They have never gone through probably more than a, a, a grace of re uh, various religious studies. Mm -hmm. um, they may only have experienced one yeah. or a generalization of one. Um, I was very fortunate in my youth to be able to experience a couple different faiths. Um, and, uh, from some very, very knowledgeable theologians, priests, rabbis, uh, and that, uh, gave me a different perspective on, uh, on a lot of things, um, and gave me respect for that knowledge and how it's been transferred over the centuries. Um, but at the same time, that respect extends to how I talk about it tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so under that, that's my framework on that. Um, I don't have necessarily strong feelings about any faith in generality. Yeah. I, I have straight, I have very strong feelings on individuals and the way they choose to practice some of those. And that crosses all kinds of faiths. So <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, I, I straight up, I grew up Catholic Yeah. and, uh, around 18 or so I converted to just like solitary Wicca. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of an atheist Wiccan now, mm -hmm. like from the standpoint of, I don't necessarily believe the gods are like actual entities that have wills that mm -hmm. they enact upon the world, but mm -hmm. they are more embodiments of concepts that I should aspire to. Okay. Um, and seek inspiration from. Yeah. I think that's a great way of saying it. Um, and, and the, the ritual and prayer gives me order in my life rather than, uh, being some sort of a, uh, an asking for something from an entity. Correct. So I, I, I see that very much in your, in the way that you, uh, enact yourself through your faiths and choice thereof. Mm -hmm. so, so that's that's my background. Um, but uh, the the important takeaway though for 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 this discussion, and we'll 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 bring this elongated disclaimer to an end, um, is that these are fake stories about fake gods in fake worlds interacting with fake people. Um, and so we're not going to take that too seriously, but. The people who wrote those stories, and when we write stories, um, we bring our own inherent biases with us into the stories that we write. 
And so we're going to have some discussion of some of the biases that we have identified in existing worlds that act as examples to other storytellers out there um, that then get perpetuated and emulated uh, in their own worlds because they see the big popular published. Yes, I'm talking about D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, they see the big published stories like that, that that act in a certain way, and they think that that's the way you're supposed to do it. And uh, so basically this whole discussion is kind of about, like, what are those biases and how are there different ways to do it? Yeah. Um, so, all right. Let's dive in a little bit to this. All right. So common D&D, which most people know, um, is by far the most recognizable of the TTRPGs uh, that are out there. Uh, that have faith in them and religion. Um, the term cleric, when mm-hmm. talking about TTRPGs, is coined and and stereotyped within D&D primarily mm-hmm. um, in the sense that you pick your divinity. Yeah. And that, dir- that at one time directed you to of how your character was played, what spells you had, what powers and abilities you were granted. So... It was a um, pantheon of gods, recognizable but uh, defined by who they were and and where they sat within it. Mm -hmm. Um, In that, uh, alignments of these gods were pretty obvious um, and were made more obvious, obviously, within the dictation um, that then helped frame the characters alignments yeah you so see you like the, the good alignments the neutral alignments and the evil alignments i'm mm-hmm. sure even if you haven't played with with alignments since they've kind of deprecated that whole system in fifth edition D D, mm-hmm. um if you're new to the hobby you've probably at least seen like just like memes of mm-hmm. like the alignment chart yeah and it's a it's a grid of good neutral evil lawful neutral and chaotic mm-hmm um, and the the gods, especially in older editions, all had those exact same alignments to them, and in fact, were a, lo- a lot of them were expressions of mm-hmm. those alignments. They were good gods, or they were evil gods, lawful gods, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. If you've been playing um, Baldur's Gate three, mm-hmm. along with uh, the nearly million other people who have been, mm-hmm. um. You will see, you know, like, Saloon versus Shar. You mm-hmm. know, Lathander is a good god because he's a sun god. Shar is an evil god because it's a night shadow god of secrets. Right. You know, and then you get a little more, you roll up your sleeves a little more in the story without spoilers, and you start getting into uh, Bane, who is like mm-hmm. a god of murder and stuff like that. Uh, 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 I forget what the other one starts with. Slanesh? And no, I'm thinking uh, Slinish is forty uh, uh, k. What's the other one? Uh, uh, the uh, God of Death uh, or of Bones and Death? Yeah, and uh, I, can I can never remember, can never remember his remember. name. It's always it's at the tip of my tongue, but I can't yeah. think of it right it's now. It's not Kelimvor, but no. it starts with a K. <laughs> yes. Kelimvor is the God of Death, but he's yeah. like the resting God of Death, right? Like the funerary God, right? But the whole thing is, is that this presents itself in that light and dark, good and evil identifiable way and i mean at times and specifically even in boulder's gate there are things your character cannot do or lest they lose favor uh merkel 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 thank you you. yeah it always throws throws off thank you very much overwatch uh but the whole thing there is is that it it frames how you can play your character and still be viewed by your god Mm -hmm. what's funny is is that follows the paladins but not the clerics 
you can do a lot of things as a cleric and, and get away with it. True, actually, yes. Um, which I, I guess lends to an interesting part of this conversation that we'll bring up later. Um, but there, the thing about D&D is that as a, as a follower of a specific god, you're monotheistic. It's yeah. a pantheon, but you're still only believing in and worshiping one god. Right, right. Or one type of deity. Even if it's named slightly different or whatever, and and the the, the problem is, and, and I don't think this like this is never explicitly stated in like the D and D book that things mm-hmm. should be this way or anything like that. But there's an implication that because you have to assign a single god to follow as your cleric or as your paladin, that that is what society is like. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of storytellers who don't take that entire pantheon and play it as a uh, you know, all the gods having a part in your life, you end up with like, oh, this tavern keeper is a follower of, of you know, of Lathander. Mm-hmm. Well, why would he just be a follower of Lathander? Like, right. does he just really have a thing for the morning sun or, you know? Right. Like, obviously you're going to have even farmers who are going to follow Lathander and Saloon. Sure. Because there's reasons and needs for both of those things. They might also do some druidic studies. Sure. And 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 ask druids to assist with them. Being polytheistic would be a normal thing within mm-hmm. that society. Yet it it's never addressed that way within the world design. Yeah. And in fact, uh, you can almost see it within the the fictions of Forgotten Realms that it's expressed even more so that people it, push it harder. Yeah, I mean, again, without getting into like huge spoilers for BG three, you know, you've got like Shar, like the Sharans. Yeah. You know, the worshippers of Shar are, like, referred to as a people. Like, yeah. there is a group of Sharans that yeah. do things, and you're like, who are these, like... Okay, I mean, maybe it's, like, the cult of Shar, but, like, there's a lot more infrastructure here than just, like, a group of people who are really enthusiastic about a single god, you know? Right. There's, like, a whole society of Sharans that are, like... It just... It seems like it's given so much more weight than a polytheistic society should technically have on a single god for that many people all acting in concert. It doesn't, and we're going to say it, it doesn't mix with reality. Yeah. Or anything historically in any way. So it it feels weird when you examine it, Mm -hmm. and yet it is accepted whole cloth. Yeah. This is the way it it looks, and this is the way it's presented. And then, you know, kind of pursuant to that, um, worshippers of these gods interact with the world through the lens of that god's bailiwick. Yes. Right? So a worshiper of the sun god might see worshippers of the night god to be the biggest evil threatening society. And and maybe they are because in this structure, gods exist as single aspects of their alignments. Right? Night is opposite day. Day equals light equals good. Therefore, night equals dark equals bad. Right. Right. And that's kind of how a lot of these gods are written, where it's like, oh, it's darkness, therefore it's evil. Yeah. Which, again, sits back in a almost cultish design, monotheistic cultish design, which then lends to the next lens, which was that by having followers, you have strength as a god. Mm Mm-hmm. The more you have, the stronger you are, the more influence you have within the world, which means that your followers may also need to remove counter followers Mm -hmm. and have effectively holy wars that are happening constantly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so this is like God versus God conflict that you've got just kind of baked into the system. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 it begs some questions mm-hmm. that I've always, I've never found a satisfactory answer to, or at least I, I say satisfactory answer because I've received answers to these, just not ones that I, that I, I am then therefore able to go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'll work that into my next game. Right. You know, uh, like, okay, so if more worshipers equals more power for a god, right? Sure. Yep. A god with no worshiper is forgotten and then what dies? They just go away? Um. Yes and no. Like, okay. there's a vacuum that does get created within the within that, and there is some something to be said about that. Uh, the 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 Raven Queen's ascension from mortal to to uh, effectively holy avatar to worshipped lady to to try attempting to make a godhood mm-hmm. and. Failing when another god came in and decided to try and kill them, kill off all the followers, so that it wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. kind of paints the picture of what could, what what would happen within the sense. But that is one framing of one particular set of gods and circumstances. Right, right. That, and that's re- relatively recent. And I say that recent, like as in that was probably written mm, ten years ago that I'm aware of. Sure, 10, okay. fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um. As as can is 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 slightly canonic, mm-hmm. uh, as far as I'm aware. But in that sense, um, gods also can be reborn because it's not the god; it's the energy, right? Because that that actually is my next question: is right. then what happens to their bailiwick, right? It exists is until it, it is picked back up, passed on to another god, or is it just lost along with their worship? Like if people stopped murdering. Would the god of murder cease to exist? Hmm. If he did, would that make it impossible to murder someone? Yeah, it's a fine question. To what extent does a god's bailiwick influence the world? Right, See, and these are deeper questions we cannot answer tonight. Right, right. <laughs> and do we need the and like? Because when it comes down to it, then like, yep. if if is it us influencing them or them influencing us? Do we need the gods or do the gods need us? That's a fine question. I think depending on the fantasy realm that you're sitting within, with this power structure, it almost sounds like the gods need us. I think the case is true. So. Anyways, these are kind of just rhetorical questions for right now. We're we are essentially just trying to lay out how the typical D and D god structure kind of works for you, so that we have a backdrop to work against. Right? Yes. This is our our uh, control group, essentially. Yes. You yes. know, I would I would, I like that. No, is this way of structuring polytheism realistic? Not in any way. <laughs> Not really. No. no. Is it fun? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it can be. Yes. It can be. It's 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 interesting. I've definitely seen where it's gotten very frustrating. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But but I mean, like it's it's one way of doing things. And these are made up gods in a made up world, and we play pretend with our friends. Like yeah. if it's fun for you, that's that's awesome. I have had fun in this in this structure. I have a helm cleric that I have absolutely loved playing. Um. So don't get my criticisms of this wrong for saying that this is a bad way or a wrong way to do this. Yeah. The point of this discussion is that it is not realistic polytheism. Correct. We can't we can't basically apply theology to these things like we normally would. Mm-hmm. We can view it through the lens of it. Yes. But that we're talking about fantasy versus real, reality. Yes. How humans really work versus what we're seeing within these designed worlds. Yes. 
So the, the the reason we're having this discussion is it's not the only way to do things, and it only kind of makes sense from a world-building perspective. If you want more realism, there's other ways of going about building pantheons and implementing polytheism in your world-building. Very much so. All right. Good gods versus evil gods. Manichaeism is a is a term that is used to kind that that kind of washes over the concept of that that that's the truth that there are only two ways to look at things. There There's is a dichotomy good, of good and evil. Good yeah. and evil. Yeah. Um, and that that doesn't actually exist in polytheism because it sits. It only sits in that case is because through the lens of the people who designed these worlds still wanted to have this pervasiveness and 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 uh uh manichaeism that kind of sat within the christian kind of framework yeah of and... of hell and heaven of light and dark exactly you know uh, angels and demons angels this is and what demons. we know we have angels and demons in you know mm -hmm. hell we have, we have we have devil devils and demons yeah uh, and they play a pretty big part in in uh, in the story, especially of Forgotten Realms. Um, but you know, it's very clear, like I said, to see the Christian influence in that. Um, and this is kind of where we were talking about the uh, the backgrounds of the people who wrote the stories mm -hmm. inform how they wrote the story. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and it's it's super clear what the background of of the people who wrote you know all Forgotten Realms were. You know, from, I think from for the grand point. scale, definitely. For the, on the grand scale, I mean, yeah. you can see the same thing in Warhammer 40k that they were clearly thinking of the sins, that the yeah. evil gods are sins. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of obvious where they're taking that design schema from. Yep. Um, and and how they're trying to do that again, not saying whether it's right or wrong, but it creates the framework that that makes it that much easier when peering from someone who has never experienced this world mm -hmm. to understand, oh, this is a god of light. Well, then I I know what I am. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's easy to define my character. Role play becomes exceptionally easy. Mm -hmm. You know, I am a cleric of war. O okay, I, I know what I do. Or, or of justice. You know, I know who I am based upon my god, and anything that goes against that, is is against it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it it helps define the the standard cowboy tropes. Yeah. You know yeah. that we we've, we've all been known to have of the the good guys versus bad guys. And it's it's very simple then also to like take the concepts of like God and Satan of mm -hmm. good and evil and then just break them up into multiple facets but still label them good gods and evil gods mm -hmm. and then just you've got the exact same Manichaean mm -hmm. dichotomy of good versus evil, this eternal battle of light versus dark smashing against each other. It's just that there's ten players on a side now instead of one. Correct. You know? And then that, but in that break, you then have to ask the question of why does anybody worship or follow an evil god? Yeah. By any, because they're there. For for me, it uh, evil gods was always something I bucked against. Like even from an early standpoint, like in high school when I was writing my very first campaign setting, Demosia. Mm -hmm. Um, the one of the very first things I threw out was the evil gods. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, because they they fall into a lot of the same trap as like your nihilistic villains to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to destroy the world. Why? All of your stuff is there, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, if you destroy the world, you destroy all of your followers, and by most 
conventional wisdom, that means you cease to exist. Correct. So, what's the end game here, Bucko? Right, right. And and that that framing on its own has to be twisted to make the to make the story of the god work mm-hmm. in the framework of well, I don't believe I'm doing anything wrong. This is this is the right thing to do. Therefore, within that framework, I can have heroes that follow me. Mm-hmm. And we see that very much so, I would say, in 40, Warhammer 40K, way more so. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we look at some of the, the quote-unquote evil god or evil followers of the gods over there, they have a righteous reason. Yeah, of if, what they're if, doing. If you dig into like the Horus Heresy and stuff like yeah. that, they're, like the 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 traitor legions have a reason why they were like, you know what, the emperor is wrong, mm-hmm. and we are willing to side with literal demons to you know to, to take care of this problem, to take care of it. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, if if this can't be solved this way, it's better that the universe burns and starts over. Exactly. Because this can't turn out well, mm-hmm. right? It's you know, and in that sense, you're like. Okay, I can see some justification within worshiping an evil. Are they evil then? And you start questioning that aspect of right. it. Right. But like any god that calls themselves evil, you right. know, you find yourself in like a are we the baddies situation, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like our temple has skulls on it and we have bodies hanging from chains from the roof of our, you know, from the roof of our worship room. Are we the baddies? Yeah, you know? yeah. Did we did we make the wrong choice here? Right. You know? Um, the god of murder. I'm sure there's something wrong with that. <laughs> but that's the thing is, is that in in polytheism, anything that was considered necessarily destructive or unfavorable in a in a deistic sense, mm-hmm. um, was something that you appeased. Yeah. You didn't follow it, right? You know, you didn't have a guy, a tempest on the shore with a staff cheering on the storm to wreck the ships at sea. Right. That doesn't make them a worshiper of the the bad thing necessarily. But what they would do is they would pray to that deity to stay their hand, essentially, to appease them, to get them to stop doing the thing that they did. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd like you said, you'd you'd have a a person like maybe a sailor praying to the god of storms. Mm hmm. Keep the seas calm. Don't do your thing while I'm out fishing, please. Yeah. In your name, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, you know, a farmer might pray to a god of pestilence to be like, hey, maybe not with the locusts today. Are we yeah. good? Can, can I present something to you? Can I appease you in another right. way? If I give you an offering, will you keep the locusts off of my wheat harvest? And and that's the that, that was the thing was is that there were always knowledgeable people. Mm-hmm. Who weren't followers of that god, but they were knowledgeable clerics, priests, clergy, if you will. Yeah. Who knew what offering to bring and how to present it so that these people who were commonly, you know, farmers and other things would go to them and be like, hey, uh, we really want to have a good crop this year. What? What can we do to make sure that this ha- that we don't have the problem that we had last year? In well, business, we call these subject matter experts. Correct. <laughs> Yet somehow we've conflagrated that to these are clerics. And they only follow one person and they wield mystical powers on their behalf. Correct. Correct. And they so, fight anybody on site who, who worships a god that theirs doesn't like. So then that creates the these embodiments mm-hmm. instead. So you have like war. 
is always a common god trope. I'm the god of war. Sure. I mean, I, Ares was a thing, yeah, you, know? you know? There's precedent for that. But it's everyone on the battlefield are willing to try and appease the god of war. Yes, exactly. So they can win. Exactly. But he really doesn't care. He doesn't care. War is happening. His will yeah. is already being done. Like... You fight, you live, you die, you know, that that's all his that's all his bailiwick. Like, you're already doing this thing. Um So how does that then extend to a holy war of winning over another and wiping them out so that there's nothing left to follow? Right. So like the the whole concept of, of like a, a holy war and like a good god defeating a, a bad god or a bad god defeating a good god, like throws off the balance of the heavens mm -hmm. so much and with it the world they apparently hold sway over you know we kind of come back to that question of like what if the god of murder was killed was mm -hmm. removed from play in mm -hmm. some way does that mean that the concept of murder goes away because that god is gone is he is he the living embodiment of the aspect of murder mm -hmm. you know so does it become impossible to kill another person in wrath if that god doesn't exist. Or when it does happen, or is that that person who did it now the god of murder? Right, because he's because he's the embodiment in that moment. Correct. You know, the only. Who, who knows? Right. These are maybe questions for your world building, but but then at the same time, you run the risk that even if you pick one of these, let's mm -hmm. say god of war, right? Mhm. Mm and and you're 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 fervently believing that. That means the god of creation doesn't like this. Because like I'm sorry, these are my creations. Yeah. You know, the god of life really doesn't like... There's a lot more gods against you than whatever you think you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Because literally you're stopping them from having their existences. Not just whoever this holy war is against. One of my favorite parts uh, that questions this is the whole idea of undead being a universal thing that all of the gods kind of have an agreement upon. Yeah, not 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 a thing. Like, how does every one of the gods in D and D clerics mm -hmm. ha either have turn undead or control undead? Like, that's an evil projection within itself. The god of the dead has something to say about that. Like, time out, guys. Why are you deciding whether this is the right thing or wrong thing? This isn't even your circle. Right, Walk right. away. And yet, it's it's plainly put right there in mm -hmm. the middle of everything i uh i i the the cleric of helm that i was talking about earlier uh, uh helm for those of you who are not familiar with her forgotten realms is a uh a neutral god of protection yeah and uh i took great pride in reminding my group that he was a neutral god not a good god yeah. Uh, most of the time, by basically being very cool about the subject of like undead soldiers and stuff, mm -hmm. people are like, "You're a cleric. How are you? You know, a, a cleric of light. How could you do this?" I'm like, "Well, they're great soldiers. Like, think about it. They don't ever get tired. They don't question orders. They don't think or reinterpret. They don't feel pity or remorse or anything. Like, they're honestly the perfect sentinels. I would like to set three of them up to guard our camp tonight." No, the undead are evil. They're really just animated lumps of flesh. It's fine. I'll ask the spirits if they're, you know, if if, if Helm can send us some of them instead. Yeah. We don't have to use zombies, I guess, if you're going to get all bent out of shape about it. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, but that's the thing is, is that it's, in it threw in the question of, is there a soul? Mm-hmm. And 
that's now getting asked. Like, okay, are souls a thing? Yeah. Is that what makes it good or evil? And the the better question is, is like, doesn't the God of Dead ha- Death have a card in this? Like, hey, those were mine. Like, right. That's my stuff that you're messing with. Don't. Please do not the crypt. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they they have a card in this game. And that card is big, and yet seems to be walked over, even though literally everyone interacts and venerates death in some way within their own faith. Yeah. Like, there's a reason why resurrections are costly and hard. That is a veneration of the god of death, not your faith. Yep. I assure you, your god is not bringing you back. They're making a deal with a much more powerful god that you can't fathom. Yes. That is the truth of that matter. It is true, and you should say it. So, I I don't care how you look at it, that is 100% like Kalimvor going, all right, dude, I I need to have a conversation with, I I need one of my people back. What do you got for me? What what do you mean what I got for you? What did they give you, and what are you going to give me? Mm Mm-hmm. Because these are mine, I have them now. Right. And it means a lot to me when you take my things. I don't ask you for your things. This is the key to the gates of the afterlife. That's right. You want this? (laughs) We're yeah. going to have a discussion about this. Yep. And that's the thing is, is that if you understand that the gods are there for their purpose, then you can start examining things in a polytheistic way yeah. Yeah. and things start falling apart in the discussions where you have these types of crossovers. There is a, um, there's some discussion I've seen, uh, like around the Elder Scrolls, uh, uh, deities, uh, the Aedra and the Daedra, mm-hmm. um, specifically the Daedra. And that is like, what would happen if, you know, X, Y, or Z happened and it changed this Daedra. And it's like, well, they would cease to be that Daedra, mm-hmm. you know? The thing you need to understand is that, like, Merun's Dagon doesn't it doesn't like destruction and change and mm-hmm. revolution. He right. is destruction, destruction and change and revolution. Yeah. And if he were to adopt a different bailiwick, he wouldn't be Merun's Dagon anymore because Merun's Dagon is the embodiment of change and destruction and revolution. Yep. You know, uh, and so you you can't kill him because he's he is the concept mm-hmm. you know yeah um yeah and and you can't kill a concept you can't kill a concept because and, someone's <laughs> gonna be doing the concept yeah you know? v for vendetta regardless of how you look at it you can't kill a concept yeah <laughs> so then we have to step into the world building aspects of actual polytheistic practice mm-hmm. and what it looks and feels like and that's where things, I think, can evolve even in D&D. Yeah. Because, yeah, sure, you can have a professional cleric of a god who understands there's other gods and respects them. Yeah, absolutely. You may even have personal feelings about those other gods. But, like, their whole job, their profession, like a fighter mm-hmm. or a, a ranger or a mage, it's a profession. Yeah. Not... The embodiment of their entire existence. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I work at the Temple of Helm. That's my job. Right. It doesn't mean that I don't understand that Kelimvor and Lathander and, you mm-hmm. know, all these other gods exist and have an active part in my life. Yeah. When the morning sun comes up, I say a prayer to Lathander, not to Helm. Right. You know, right. because Helm isn't the god of the morning sun. Lathander is. Right, right. You know. Uh, and, and that's kind of a lot more how polytheism actually is in mm-hmm. practice. You know, gods 
more often have non-overlapping spheres of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, now, okay, I say non-overlapping in that they don't conflict with one another. Okay, mm-hmm. there is a lot of overlap mm-hmm. um, from like people sharing different aspects, and I'll get to that in a moment. But, i.e., they don't fight. One is not more right than the other. Okay, right. the god of the sun does not fight with the god of the dark. In fact, they might they might be lovers. Yeah, in some in some pantheons, they they have a eternally cursed romance, yeah, star crossed, if you will, star crossed, <laughs> if you will, because they can't see each other because they're on opposite sides of the planet. You know, that's right, that's right. Um, but uh, in in a lot of things, though, where you do get those overlaps, though, um, are in just a lot of mundane things. Yeah, like, like they're they're barely looks like like Artemis. Mm-hmm. Okay, Artemis is a, is is a, a goddess uh, that that I revere personally, is the goddess of wild animals. Mm-hmm. The hunt, mm-hmm. vegetation, chastity, and childbirth. It's a lot. That's there's a lot going on there, you yeah. know. Yep. yep. And now and that's opposed to Demeter, mm-hmm. who's the goddess of the harvest and agriculture. So more more plants, more plants. Uh, presiding presiding over crops, grains, food, and fertility of the earth, as opposed to her daughter Persephone. Who's the embodiment of spring and the personification of vegetation, especially grain crops. Mm-hmm. So, like, which one of y'all is who I pray to for my crops? Because mm-hmm. they're vegetation. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Wh- are they growing actively? Is that what you're trying to do? Exactly. Or are you trying to to make the ones that are already grown stay healthy until they're fully matured. Right. Or are you trying to keep the animals from eating your crops while you're, you know, while you're waiting to harvest? Exactly. All of those things sit in a polytheistic design. And and depending on which one of those situations it is, it is, you may pray to one of those three or another one. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember if this is Greek or Roman, but the door. The simplest thing is a door. Yeah. There yeah. are four gods. There's the there's the god of basically uh of the physical framed door itself. Mm-hmm. There's the god of the hinges. Yep. <laughs> there's the god of 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 opening, uh, egress and ingress. Mm-hmm. And then there's the god of passing through the actual of crossing thresholds. Cr- crossing the threshold. Yes, from all one, of one those space are gods. Yes. All of those are individual gods. Yeah. That that you would pray to differently. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just the act of opening a door has four gods involved with it. Yeah. So, oh man. But we see this and we accept this in different ways. I have seen multiple people uh, in my life talk about the saints in much the same way. You know, oh, I lost my keys. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you should uh, you should ask the saint of so-and-so to help you. Okay? Or, you know, I uh, my my daughter is sick. Oh well, then you should you should uh, pray to the saint of so and so. Oh yeah, my grandmother had like what Saint Christopher or something like that sitting mm-hmm. on her dashboard for travel. Yeah, because they they lived in Buffalo, New York, and they yep. would they would uh, they would have to travel long ways. They would take the saint with them. Yeah, and and these cross ethnicities, mm-hmm. faiths, mm-hmm. um, all all kinds of areas, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll find people who understand this and accept this. Yeah, this is polytheism in practice. Yeah. You know, um, 
and there's there's multiple examples of this across the world. I mean, if we if we actually sat down with a theologian, they could break down every culture that's been out there and each one of its little things and shrines and temples and, you know, that there are animals that are also divine by their rights within where they sit mm-hmm. and therefore are prayed differently. I I want to say there's and I'm again, I'm being terrible here, but I'm recalling uh, a Japanese park Mm-hmm. Where animals are revered and are are given offerings mm-hmm. for s- same reasons, yeah. you know, people are are asking for assistance and or are are expressing a need, yeah, of of some unknown, and this sits within that space of of need, acceptance, and uh, of the cultural uh, tropes within it, um. So it doesn't make sense that gods are going to conflict on those values. Right, right. But we see within the design of other aspects that gods have squabbles. Gods fight. They don't go to war, but they do fight. Oh, God, do they fight. Um, It's honestly pretty common to hear. Like, if you've paid at all any sort of attention to Greek mythology... Um, you, you understand that, like, in a very anthropomorphic way, if they squabble like family members and it, uh, but they don't, they don't try to wipe each other out. Generally. 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 Um. That's more of a novella thing. That's not actually in practice. One of my favorite stories is, uh, uh, Hephaestus, the god of the forge. Yeah. Okay. And he, uh. uh, so he was, he was granted Aphrodite as a, uh, Mm -hmm. uh. As a uh, as a wife, yeah. Um, by Zeus, basically he betrothed him to, or betrothed her to uh, to to Hephaestus. Um, and now Hephaestus is like the dude who like made Hermes winged boots, yeah, and stuff like that. Like he is the the forge master of the gods. Now Aphrodite, being being Aphrodite, mm-hmm. because she's Aphrodite, she cannot be any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, was like you know. Uh, to put it mildly, hoeing it up um, mm-hmm. with Ares mm-hmm. and was tapping that on the side for, for a while. And Hephaestus was like getting a little sick of it. Mm-hmm. And so one day he weaves this this fine mesh uh, net mm-hmm. that was so fine it was its threads were invisible. Mm-hmm. And he hung it above their marital bed. Mm-hmm. And when Aphrodite invited uh Ares over while Hephaestus was out and he like he he planned it like oh mm-hmm. I'm going out mm-hmm. don't do anything while I'm gone right so she immediately invites Ares over and right. they're shacking up in their bed he basically comes in and springs the net and it falls on top of them and he drags the two of them naked as jaybirds mm-hmm. in flagrante delincto mm-hmm. and right up the top of Olympus and deposits them in front of Zeus. Yep. And basically says, I want my damn money back. <laughs> yeah. This is what you gave me. Yep. This is your problem, not mine. This is your problem, not mine, exactly. And he's like, well, I don't think she would. But What do you call that? Yeah. Oh. Well. Yeah. 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 What are we going to do about this, Zeus? Yeah. Now, so. if this feels childish or juvenile. Of course it is. It is literally the way of 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 all base stories that mm-hmm. this is that it is it is the the basis of most conflicts feels almost human in nature yeah 
because they were aspects of humanity that people were trying to give, you know, explanation and and structure to. Well, and also acceptance that if the gods have these problems, then then it's okay that I have these problems. Yeah, absolutely. How do they get resolved? You don't want to do that. <laughs> Wife if cheating you... on you? Yeah, I know. I get that. Yeah. Face just had that too, buddy. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. But yeah. you'll get through it. Yeah, exactly. Like, and at the same time, they weren't necessarily good mythology or 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 parables in mm-hmm. some ways, but they were methods of being able to communicate about challenging subjects, losing a child, uh being betrothed to someone that you didn't want to be, accepting a marriage and finding out that it can work. These were human stories wrapped in these god-like robes. Mm-hmm. So it's rare if ever, that you have followers who are like, oh, Hephaestus, you know, got screwed by this, so let's never, let's let's go after Persephone's worshippers. That's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you're not going to, it's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, mostly because people don't revere one god nearly enough to get that worked up about another god's followers. Right. And there isn't really such a thing as another god's followers either, because you're all that god's followers in that region, you know? Um, and, and that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, Overwatch just, uh, was just talking about, uh, uh, was, uh, uh Sutek, Sutek and, killed Osiris sorry. and chopped him into tiny bits. The rest of the animal heads were pretty chill. <laughs> that is, that is exceptionally true. And the Greek gods went to war with the Titans who were gods before them. See, that's the one that always gets me is, is the, is the, there were gods before these gods. We kicked their god butts. Right. And, and, now, now, and we're, now we're king, you know. Which means there's others to come. King turd on turd mountain. Exactly. Here we are. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Why yeah. do we keep listening to Loki? <laughs> That's a fine question. That is a that is a fine question. But the, the, the point of the matter is, is that most of the fights are not about who the god is to the people, but what their embodiment does to their humanity that sits within them. And yeah. that's the, the awkward yeah. reality there. Yeah, exactly. And we do see that very much still bleeding into fantasy. Nobody nobody tries to knife each other in an alley. It's more just a bunch of gods leaving flaming bags of poo on each other's doorstep, you know? For the most part. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, they. I mean, Percy Jackson doctors it up a little hard. With the uh, with the stories being way more teenage drama filled, I, I actually read something about Percy Jackson the other day because I'm not familiar with the with the with the property at all. Okay, um, I've never read any of the books. It's or okay. Like that. You can um, restart again because they're putting on another movie at the beginning. But when I, well, I hear the original ones were were, were ass. So uh, yeah, I mean, just as much as anything else. Might, <laughs> so might be good. Might be a good time to get a look. But uh, I I read something about how um, actually the the author of Percy Jackson um, was uh, his his son her son i don't i don't know the genders of anybody involved sure, here sure sure um the, the, the author's child, child mm-hmm. uh was interested in um uh, greek mythology mm-hmm. um but was having uh trouble learning it in school mm-hmm. and so the author invented this character percy jackson to essentially make greek mythology relatable um, no, think... to to the child so mm-hmm. that they could get into the stories and and relate to it and and learn it yeah and it, and i dare say it does make it accessible yeah there are I, I, I translate surprisingly well to teen drama. <laughs> oh, I think I think if there was one thing they did exceptionally well about retelling those stories, that was accurate. Mm-hmm. That you know, having a teenager within the canon of the story look at you and go, "God, you guys are really terrible at getting to know each other. Why don't you ever just talk?" And have the gods be like, 
It doesn't work that way. Oh, because you're adults. You know, and, that, <laughs> and, and that's effectively what it is, is that you get to see that they're basically being big kids. Mm-hmm. And with hurt feelings and unable to work through their problems. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the truth of it. Yeah. You know, um, and it's it works really well in that regard, regardless of how poor the accuracy is to the theology. I I think it does a, an honorable job of of depicting the the powers of a god are variant from their needs mm-hmm. as individuals. Yeah. So, um, also side note, play Hades by Supergiant Games. Do it, do it. It's do awesome, it. awesome, awesome game. Great story. Um, but that all being said about polytheism and and being able to to look at and accept and venerate cultures within areas had their own. Like you were saying, that you may you may have up to three gods that you've got to figure out who to uh, to apply based on the situation. You also just straight up had situations where it's like I I live on the sea. I I am constantly going to be venerating Poseidon. There's going to be a giant statue in the harbor. Uh-huh. That basically is like, yes, we venerate you all of us. Put a hand on it before we go out to sea. There is gold left there that no one touches. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your harbor. You, you know. go five miles in inland, and then they're like, Pahu? Po- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Poseidon, the god of the sea? Oh. Oh, is that what those fishermen are all about? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean the fishermen we ship we ship our grapes to to get them across and down river? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, got yeah. it, got Oh, it, got yeah, it. okay, yeah. yeah, sure, whatever. Sure, sure. Yeah, Bacchus is here, buddy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, you know, and, and then you've got also, like, uh, deities that kind of changed over geographical lines and stuff of like that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Artemis and Diana are basically the same god, but just by a different name, by yeah. a different culture, yep, you know? very much so. Um, and I I think, like, uh, if you want to see a good example of this in, uh, in fantasy, mm-hmm. um, the Elder Scrolls games actually do a really good job of this, I think. But it's, it's not... It's not as like overt on the surface because a lot of the 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 uh, the stories take place within the structure of the empire, and so you get the empire's pantheon, you know, kind of shoved on you. But if you look into the lore a little bit, you start seeing that, like, uh, for instance, Shigorath, the Daedric Prince of Madness, um, is called the Skuma Cat by yeah. <laughs> uh, by uh, by the by the Khajiit. Um, you know, they, they do a lot of that where different gods have slightly different names depending on which uh, culture is venerating them. Yeah. Or who's who's accepted it, like what zone you're in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and that's another thing is they do a really good job of different deities having different bailiwicks in different cultures and regions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like the Nine Divines is only the Alessian pan- pantheon, right? Mm-hmm. It's only the like the official empire pantheon. Yeah. Now. And this this kind of touches on another another really good aspect of this is because one of the things that will influence this is politics. Oh God, yeah. Okay, so to to kind of get in the weeds with this, but it's a great example. It's a great living example. Sure. Okay. So you've got the nine divines, mm-hmm. and then you've got like uh, sixteen or so daedra. Sure. Okay. Now, the divine or divines are called aedra. Mm-hmm. That translates to our ancestors. Mm-hmm. They're the daedra. Daedra translates to not our ancestors. Pretty straightforward. Okay. Because in the origin story, it was the divines that gave themselves to create 
Nern to create the world. Right. Okay. So hence, all life that springs up on that planet, the divines are their ancestors. They come from the divines. That makes sense. Okay. The Daedra are the ones who didn't take part in the creation of the world. That doesn't necessarily make them evil. They just didn't have a, a horse in that race. Right. Right? Not our ancestors. Right. They're not like us. We are not of them. Right. Okay. So, the Nine Divines are the quote-unquote approved pantheon Mm -hmm. for the Empire. Mm -hmm. This is a political move. Without a doubt. Okay. There are other gods that exist Mm -hmm. in the Elder Scrolls universe, and they go by different names, and they're worshipped by different people. But the Empire themselves says the Nine Divines are the good ones. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're not going to acknowledge or worship anything that isn't these nine. Right. Okay. The reason it's a political choice is because they've forever been having problems keeping the High Elves on board with the Empire. Right. Several times throughout history, the High Elves have gone, you know what? We can do this better. Screw you guys. Mm-hmm. And they have jumped ship and gone to war with the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's actually what's happening in Skyrim. And that's kind of what's happening in Elder Scrolls Online if you've played those games. Um, And so it was a political decision of basically these are the nine gods that we can agree on. Mm -hmm. Not that we think these are the best gods, but these are the gods that we can all agree on and will keep you from starting another holy war. Which paints very well to history with Romans moving north through Europe and the acceptance they have all the way to uh, to modern day... uh, uh, England mm-hmm. and the UK, and uh, picking up and dismantling some of the faiths there based upon their acceptance. Yep. And then if you get into um, Skyrim, which is a massively popular game, it's been out for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big things you may run into is the Thalmor, mm-hmm. who are essentially a bunch of high elves that are rolling around, basically being like the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their big things is they're trying to outlaw the worship of Talos. Oh, okay. One of the nine divines. Mm-hmm. He was a man who ascended to godhood. Mm-hmm. And Somehow. they say, that's BS. A man Cause... can't ascend to godhood. There's Cause... only eight divines. Correct. There can't be a ninth divine because he didn't create Nern. Exactly. He's not a divine. He's not an Adra. He's not our ancestor. I mean, effectively, he's just us. He's a very powerful us, but he's just us. He's not even us, because he was human, not high elf. Oh, so even there, yeah. So, yeah, very much not their ancestor, because he's not even the same species as them. Um, And so they basically declare that heresy, and that's one of the big plot points there. So you kind of see, like, it's a good example of, like, politics and, you know, regional religions and such like that. And that's without even getting into um, how the Nords in Skyrim worship Shore. Mm-hmm. Which is another name for Lorcan. So you've got an, a different oh, right. deity, yep. not part of the accepted pantheon, being called a different name because it's a regional name. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural name. Mm-hmm. You know, great examples of these, all living within a very common fantasy world. It's a good example of it. Yeah. So it's complex, is what we're saying, is, is that when you, even if you're playing within D&D's framework... There is nothing to say that it is not a polytheistic world that sits around these professional mm-hmm. individuals who have single beliefs. You can you can have a polytheistic world that sits right around D&D. It just, classes are meant to be professions. Yeah. 
and what you are good at. And I, I don't know about you, but I could very easily see a bumbling book wielding cleric who oh, yeah. is who who has to open up to the like ritual section every time he wants to pray to his god in the mm-hmm. middle of combat like oh, i i have to get this prayer right otherwise they're not going to heal properly uh, uh okay i need this i need this and some incense and like it's a thing just as much as it is a wizard's bailiwick to do the yep. same thing yep it is just as common because again it's just a profession that you get better at yeah it doesn't mean you're not looking and venerating and understanding other gods i would love to see the cleric who uh uh gets deep in the weeds and the scholarly aspects of their of their faith of like because and that's that's the other thing you you almost never see is disagreements within a faith Mm -hmm. you know like oh my god judaism has made uh an absolute like just Sport out of arguing about uh, about you know the divine about God's will and stuff mm-hmm, like that like mm-hmm. it's encouraged to mm-hmm. question and and argue about it like it's because it makes you stronger in your own beliefs exactly and so I would love to see like two you know like uh, the, the priest of Helm you know hanging mm-hmm. out with, uh, with with an adventuring party and then being like oh does your God think that undead are evil and like. Well, I guess that entirely depends. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, the teachings of, you know, high priest, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kari, who was, you know, who wrote the eight precepts of the Sentinel um, back in, you know, 24 AV, well then, yeah, from a certain aspect, but those are contradicted by the writings of, you know, you know. and yeah. 45 minutes later, you're like, I'm sorry I asked. I was There's expecting a, reason a why, yes or no. You yeah. know? There's a reason why I have a plus seven in religion. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I studied faith, you know. There's a reason why I can recognize other faiths. Yeah. And they're not just wrong. Yeah. You know. And that, that, that puts it, so. Closing right. thoughts. Closing thoughts. I will leave you with one thought. Okay. And that's from Deep Space Nine, granted to us by Worf, as played by Michael Dorn. Excellent. I prefer Klingon beliefs. Our gods are dead. Ancient Klingon warriors slew them a millennia ago. They were more trouble than they were worth. I think that's wonderful. I, 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 it almost has a um, Greek pantheon feel to it of like, we destroyed the Titans and we just didn't need it anymore. Yep. I like that. Yep. I like that. Uh, for me, I'm going to leave you with something a bit longer. Uh, it comes from Discworld... Uh, uh, said by death in uh, the Hogfather series um, at the very, very end where he's discussing um, the reason why we need to venerate and protect uh, basically Santa in that story, the Hogfather. Um, and he's describing to uh, his mortal granddaughter mm-hmm. uh, why, you know, in having almost an argument with her of why this is important. And he says, Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy. And yet you act as if there is some ideal order to the universe, as if there is some righteousness in the universe by which it must be judged. And she says, yes, but people have to believe in that or what else is the point? And he says, that's my point exactly. The idea that you have to have basic beliefs and understandings 
to be able to believe in anything. To be able to accept the bigger truths that there are people who can be good. And that we can have something beyond. You have to have hope. Yep. You have to have justice. You have to have mercy. You have so. to believe the big little lies so you can believe in the big ones. Exactly. Exactly. We have some questions. We do. Where would you like to start? Pick one. Knox in the Box asks, My question is about players at the table and immersion. Oh, good. We're getting away from faith for just a second. <laughs> for example, if you had a player at your table that scolded other players for quote-unquote breaking character and requested no IRL talk at the table at all in an effort to protect their immersion... How would you handle that? This type of player also makes comments like, I'll forgive it this time, and I try to ignore it when you slip, which creates a tension during play and an air of quote-unquote policed fun. Well, I, th- I think you're saying it right there at the end with the idea that it's policed fun. Yeah. I-, I-, I think that's tension that doesn't need to be there. If everyone at the table is having a good time, but this one player is having a hard time with their immersion... There needs to be something discussed outside of game. Yeah. About that. There's there's something that's that's bothering them. Maybe there's some other tension there that's causing them their need to be immersed in the game. Maybe they're having a hard time focusing. That they're really enjoying the story, but it's hard for them to focus on the story when everybody's literally breaking character and talking about last week's movie or you know, uh, or their character brings up, you know, uh, a reference that has nothing to do with the game because it, it helps them reference the situation. Like, oh, that was just like uh, the scene in, uh, you know, in Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that doesn't have reference to the game. Stop doing that. Yeah, like, yeah. Let's do it in game. That's not comfortable for everybody. Well, I mean, I, I think I would be a lot more charitable about uh, about this, this hypothetical player um, if... They weren't so absolutist. Like, if, they, if it wasn't not, you know, no IRL talk at all, I will tolerate no breaking character. Like, if if they were like, hey, guys, can we keep the out-of-game chatter down a little bit? It's, I'm, I'm having trouble staying in the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a very reasonable request. Yeah. And and one I've had at my table. Yeah. One I've made myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, when you start drawing lines in the sand of, like, no, you can't do this. Your fun I, is making me uncomfortable. And when you start yeah. saying things like, I'll forgive it this time. That right there is... To, I immediately want to say, oh, and, and what happens if you don't forgive it? Right. What's what's the consequence, buddy? What are you threatening me with? Right. You I, know? Because that's what it is. Yeah. I'll forgive it this time is a subtle threat. Correct. Correct. What are, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know? And if it's coming to that, like... That's table control. Yeah, that's table control. Like, maybe they do have something else going on out there. And, again, uh, sure, I, I'm I'm willing to be compassionate and charitable. Mm-hmm. But when you start threatening other people and policing their fun like that, you, yeah. you are becoming the problem. You are the person with mismanaged expectations. If... Five people in the room are all just laughing and having a good time with the current level of RP. Right. And one is then trying to essentially slap the handcuffs on the other five. Yeah. I'm sorry to say, but the guy, 
you know, trying to police the fun is the wrong one in the party. Yeah, maybe they They're need to shift the their one... expectations. Yeah, exactly. They're the one with the wrong expectations, and they either need to recalibrate, or they need to leave to a place where they will be happy and accepted. Yep, yep. But either way, this is a discussion that needs to happen outside of the game. Mm-hmm. Needs to not be meta. Like, th- this needs to sit outside of gameplay yeah. to be worked through. And I would say, step it back. I mean, is, is the problem that they don't like the table chatter? Okay, okay fine. Then... Maybe we all try and make sure that we're using character names mm-hmm. when we're talking to each other. F- enforce that. That's sure. a simple thing to enforce yeah, to absolutely. help keep the game in-game. One of the things that we've done at our own games uh, is basically just kind of draw draw a line. Like, mm-hmm. we basically allow, like, 20, 30 minutes before because we're mm-hmm. a lot of us don't see each other every day. It's once a know? month. <laughs> it's, one, it's once a month that we get to see some of these friends because mm-hmm. um, they live, you know, 45 minutes an hour away, whatnot. Right. Um, and so we have like a, a half hour of just like BSing where mm-hmm. we're all just, you know, we're sitting at the table, mm-hmm. our miniatures are out, our character sheets are in front of us, but we're just still sharing stories and yep. enjoying each other's company and whatnot. Yeah. We need that. We're friends first and foremost. Yeah. We don't want to run our games like a business, but at a certain point we have to play. And so then we're like, okay, have we got all of our socialization worked out? Does anybody mm-hmm. have anything left? Does anybody need a last-minute bathroom break, a snack, a refill on coffee, whatever? Are we good? Have we gotten it out of our systems? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay, now we're going to draw the line, and we're going to get into character. Yep. You know? Yep. All right. Nevum asks, in a setting setting having many pantheon of gods uh, can bring some kind of confusion... How to present the subject clearly to players? I'm thinking of setting like Faerun or Scion. Uh, how do you help players with their character's religious beliefs? Well, that's that's a second question. Right. So, so I think in the first question where we're talking about the setting with a, 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 a mini plethora of a pantheon, mm-hmm. you know, someplace where you have obviously more than two, probably more than six in that sense, um, it can bring confusion, but... Keep in mind that as you're presenting these things, they're not absolutes. Mm-hmm. They need to feel like they're organically part of the world. Exactly, yes. No different than like when you come into a town that's on the coast that a coastal deity is presented. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, in speech, when someone's talking about it, you know, you know, bless Poseidon, you made it. You yeah. Know, that kind of a term. Yeah. You know, you, you, you change out the things that uh, that make sense for it simply mm-hmm. um, so that your players recognize it and it becomes part of the vernacular of the situations that they are in. Exactly, yes. It's all about show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst thing you can do with the situation is lore dump. Correct. Is hand out a 20-page report yep. detailing all the ins and outs of every single god and where they apply and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah best thing you can do is like you said like thank poseidon you made it mm-hmm. across the sea on your journey like mm-hmm. cool F- thematic and appropriate you yeah. know um i like i like the little things yep you know like you said like there's there's four gods involved in opening a door show that you know yeah maybe maybe not all four i mean but but just little things of like um 
you know, your, your, uh, uh, your host at the inn, you know, um, brings you the coffee, uh, and before pouring it for you, salutes it to the god of of, of wine and you know and, and and festivities or whatnot. Yeah. You know, pours some coffee to you and just goes about their way or whatnot. Yeah. Um. When you when you pay for something, um, the person th- takes the money, thanks it for you, turns to the shrine of the god of commerce, Zenithar, yeah. and and bows to it and sets one of the coins that you paid them yeah. on the shrine. Yeah. I love the little cats. That are in shops that are waving at you, mm-hmm. like things like that. Simple little yeah. things, little things, you little know? expressions of how these gods intersect with the mortal lives that they influence. Roadside shrines are great. Roadside shrines, oh, you know, it's not only a place for you to take shelter, but it's also for a place for you to pay homage mm-hmm. in an area. So, like, maybe you're at a large, like, what was a battlefield, mm-hmm. right? That is now. Just it used to be a farmer's field. It became a battlefield, and now it's useless. Mm-hmm. And it's just covered in rock, debris, you know, decaying things. You know, uh, after the Hundred Year War. But sitting there are three shrines: a shrine to the god of death, a shrine to the god of war, and a shrine to the god of mercy. Yeah, and there are offerings at all of them mm-hmm. that are both fresh and old. Yeah, you know, maybe there's a curator of that space who comes out. And makes sure that everything is, you know, because when the wind comes, it knocks things over. He takes care of the candles that have burned for too long. And you're just like, oh, what is he? He's the cleric here. Mm-hmm. That's a cleric. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And they're doing it for all of the shrines because they venerate all of them and understand that it needs to be cared for. Is that what they do for their life? Of course not. He's also a farmer. Yeah. But this is what he does for the community. Okay. He's the baker, but on Tuesdays he takes care of the shrine. You know? Right, yeah. you know, but when he goes on vacation, his son or his cousin takes care of it. Sure. Maybe he doesn't do such a great job, but he still knows what to do in the process yeah, to do they, it they, with. they know a few of the prayers. They know mm-hmm. they know the, the, the right times or day to say the things, which direction to face, Yep. you know, et cetera. Um, in the case of um, how do you help a character, a, how, how do you help a player with their religious beliefs? Again, show, don't tell. Have them have a mentor. Mm-hmm. Present things to them. Also, make their roles matter. You don't have to tell a fighter how to kill things with his sword or how to do certain athletic abilities. They roll dice, say what they want to do, and then you help them narrate that. Mm-hmm. As time goes on, they will do that for themselves. Encourage them beyond the narration. I think too that the the important conversation to have with a a character who wants to be religious, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be some sort of a cleric. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be part of their uh, abilities, mm-hmm. you know, how they interact with the game world. But um, to have faith as an aspect of a character, I think the important question to ask your player then is, what are they trying to get out of that aspect of the tor- of, of, of the story? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to go on a spiritual journey, or do they mm-hmm. just want to make it a character quirk that they they feel strongly about the god of commerce? Yeah, Grom, yeah. I've never prayed to you. I don't have the tongue for it. That kind of a thing. You yeah, know? yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I, I think have that conversation with them, and then. Work with them on helping realize their end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, put interesting challenges, if they do want it to be an aspect of their character, that through which they grow. Mm-hmm. Um, put interesting challenges in front of them to make them think about aspects of it, to to make them question their own faith, and hopefully either come through with it or change it 
It's same yeah. you would with any other aspect of their character. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's just a quirk that they want to do, just give them a few opportunities to roleplay that quirk, and then you don't have to do anything much more than that. Yeah, I would say in regards to the uh, presenting challenges, don't don't think you have to work hard at that. Sometimes a challenge can be simply as someone else of faith asking them a question. Yes. That's it. Le- not whether it was right or wrong, but just like, oh, what do you think about this? What would you do in this situation? You know, I'm presented with a terrible situation. How would you handle that? Yeah. You seem to be a person of uh, of matching faith or of, of the faith that I that, that might help guide me through this. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, now I have to help guide someone else. And then you're set up to have a really great conversation mm-hmm. about it, yeah. Yep. Or make them think about it for a long time, you know. I, uh, I I don't I don't want this comment in the live chat to go unnoticed. Um, we were talking about how there are four <laughs> gods involved with uh, with the simple act of opening yes, a door in yes. some polytheistic societies. Uh, Knox in the box says the door problem with Vox Machina makes so much more sense now. It does. It truly, <laughs> truly does. They did not we venerate. Didn't, we didn't know they were battling four gods. Four different gods. Probably five in their case, but we're not going to get to that. It's the same problem is the same problem faced by our four bears. Yes. You have four, four bears. bears. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Overwatch asks, uh, many fictional par- pantheons cover the same bases. It's true. Yep. Do you feel there are must-haves in a pantheonic system? Hmm. I, I think the must-haves are the things that are the biggest aspects in um in in day-to-day life. Okay? So I think like birth, existence and death are three constants mm-hmm. for all living creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Any mortal creature. Any mortals, yeah. Um So I think those are big. Um I think gods of like major aspects of society like law and order um, one that maybe uh, is like travel or change or some aspect of chaos is a good one. Um, I think a god that represents something like nature. Uh, and of course, you know, this this can be multiple different gods. You can have a god for animals. You can have a god for plants. You know, the sunrise, the sunset, the stars, the moon, the everything like that. Or you might just boil it down to like one druidic god that's like, I do all the natural stuff like uh, Kinnereth in, um, mm-hmm. in Elder Scrolls is kind of that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I would say major life events. Um, I like gods of war because uh, war happens. Mm-hmm. Um, fighting happens. Death happens. Destruction happens. Um, you know, things things like that. I think are are valuable. Um, if it is a major aspect of existence or life or the goings on of society, I think it deserves a god. I think that's a very realistic approach. I think that is exceptionally realistic, and I I don't discount any of that. I think the angle that I would take for myself to mm-hmm. keep things simple is if I'm doing world building, if I have a question that cannot be answered in an obvious, everyone knows this way, mm-hmm. it can be venerated by some means. God, God of the plot gaps? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's funny to say that, but that's effectively the truth. If you can't yeah. understand why people go to war, yeah. having a god of war makes sense. Mm-hmm. If if war isn't something that's in your game world because it's something that is is military strategy, mm-hmm. the concept of political disputes and, and, and fighting just happen. Like mm-hmm. that's a known thing that everybody understands. And really, it doesn't need a god. Nobody's going to venerate that. Sure. Right? Okay. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to do it. War. War is a thing men do. 
Why Correct. does it need to be a project, uh, a providence of the divine? Correct. Yeah. And, okay. And that may feel very, make 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 it very brittle, but it doesn't pull away from the things that can be questioned, and and the things that go bump in the night, the true fears of men. You know, um, like mischief is something that is often missed in pantheons, and yet is necessary to venerate because it comes at the most inopportune times. Weather is another one. It is often uncontrollable and un- misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Even with all of the technology we have today, it is hard for us to even come to grips without looking at 19 different sources of information to try and come to a general consensus on what the weather is going to be like in a specific area more than two days from now. And I have a harvest in six months. Yeah. Now, I don't know what that's going to be like. I have a good guess based upon history and things like that. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to venerate what I don't know. Small god of farmer's almanacs. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, likewise, things that are recognized but still misunderstood. Um, I go to Numenera for this one. And that is, is that there's no question that if once you get to a certain point after the falls of so many, you know, ridiculous uh, of societies, you know, many millennia from now, that there is still some piece of technology that is burping out, you know, some life-giving thing, right, in an area, and they have no idea how that thing functions, I assure you that thing is venerated. Mm-hmm. In some godlike way. Sure. You know? And that's just because they don't understand it. Yeah. And they can't understand it. It is it is so conceptually beyond them that it has to be. That it has to be a god, yeah. And that's that's where I come from on that. Um, and why uh, you look at things like the 13th Warrior, mm-hmm. where you have this tribe of monsters. Oh, yeah. That are just wiping people out until it's understood. But people were... You can kill them. They're just men. They're just men! And it changes the game Changes completely. everything. Yep. Yep. But until that point, they were like, there, there's a witch who gives them power, who makes them mm-hmm. invulnerable because their bodies aren't there in the morning. They shapeshift into yeah. bears. Like, yeah. It's, like, yeah. how? Like, they're, they're, they use claws. No, their weapons are claws. Right. They live in bear caves and breed them for their weaponry, yeah. which makes sense, and their clothing and all that kind of stuff. Hey, but if you don't know it... That's scary as heck. That's yeah. that's how you have to do it. Exactly. Um, and do okay. And do any systems come to mind that go against this type and don't include the typical to go tos? Oh yeah. I mean, I would say anybody, any of the major systems that take a soft approach to doing gods, do this almost every time. They just they they get it's. I'm not going to say lazy god writing, because it's not. If you dig deep enough in a lot of these, there's a lot of in-depth direction that comes into these kind of pantheons. Mm -hmm. But, like, the initial books that are presented to you make it feel like the gods are one-sided, very simple in their dimensions, and basically just hate each other. Yeah, yeah. For no good reason, you know? I'm, uh... uh... The one one I'm going to reach for real quick is Mistborn. Mm. Um, I'm not like a super huge, like Cosmere, um, buff or anything like that. Like, 
both Sean and Knox in the Box in the live chat right now would absolutely be able to school me on this topic. Probably. Um, but uh, uh, there are, like, multiple, like, they're not they're not called gods. They're called shards, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of like, I think it's one god that exploded into its various component aspects. And each of those shards kind of got scattered to different worlds. And some of them are in opposition with one another and ended up on the same world. Some of them only got one shard, like Mistborn only got the shard of Ruin, if I remember correctly. There's no other shard there. And so Ruin is just trying to screw over the world of Mistborn. Hmm. Um, But then you've also got like the Lord Ruler, who is someone who found a massive amount of power. And because no one else can match his power, he calls himself a living god. Right. And, you know, but it kind of begs the question, uh, and very much like uh, like uh, the tribunal in uh, uh, Elder Scrolls Morrowind, mm-hmm. if you have functionally more power than anyone who can ever try to lift a finger to uh, to uh, against you, so much so that they would never be able to even come close to rivaling you, right? Are you functionally a god? Like, where does that line go between I am a super, ultra, unfathomably powerful mage and I am a god? And, it, like, that doesn't need an answer. But yeah. it's but it's a, it's a fun question to ponder, and I think that definitely goes against, you know, when you've got your quote-unquote living gods. Mm-hmm. Like, I think those very much go against the whole, like, pantheon thing. Because they don't necessarily... They're, they're, they're mortal incarnations, almost, of 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 godliness in just from the sheer power aspect but they don't have that like portfolio or bailiwick or or you know a uh, list of attributes essentially that uh, a god normally would yep 100% i agree i agree that that oh, sits within that Mistborn got two ruin oh. and preservation okay that makes sense yes okay thank you for thank you for that in the live chat appreciate both Sean and Knox in the box yep. <laughs> chiming yep. in on that one so Next week topic, we are talking about generic systems and yeah. SRDs. I'm kind of excited because I'm I'm gonna go off a little bit on uh, on on Savage Worlds, definitely. Yeah, uh, as a, as a, one of the major generic systems that we play, but there's a lot of them out there. There's a ton now, and we we do these monthly system spotlights on you know this one particular game system, and it's got a cool story behind it, and or even a setting within a, a a generic system, exactly or something that started out as a, as a as a specific game like Deadlands mm-hmm. and became a generic and became system. a generic system, right? <laughs> You know, um, but, uh, you know, so often, though, we're, you know, we're pointed towards very specific games that do very specific things. Um, but, uh, you know, basically, the, the, the sort of wild card you can use in any discussion like that is also a generic system. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they get enough fanfare. So we want to take a look at them and yeah. uh, what the kind of the pros and cons of them are, what options are out there and what they do and what they don't do. I agree. Alrighty. Well, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And uh, join us on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, shoot us some questions. We had some great questions this mm-hmm. week. Uh, talk to the other great storytellers that are up there. Bounce some campaign ideas off mm-hmm. them. Um, you can find that link on our website, or on our website, storytellerconclave.com, as well as our Twitter. Um... <laughs> 
You mean X. X. No, no I don't, no, mean, you don't X. mean X. Well, you can thank our Patreon members as well, who support us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sedjet, San, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram at arcaneanthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrock. You can find that at geefrock.bandcamp.com or on YouTube Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families. Vicky and Sean, thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank All you. of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over these years to give these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.